0: The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
1: Paul Paul and Silas bound in jail all night long. Paul and Silas bound in jail all night long. Paul and Silas bound in jail all night long. Crying, who shall deliver for me? The jailer came and he locked the gate. All night long, jailer came and he locked the gate. All night long, the jailer came and he locked the gate. All night long, crying, who shall deliver for me? That old jail just reeled and rocked. All night long, that old jail just reeled and rocked. All night long, that old jail just reeled and rocked. All night long crying, Who shall deliver for me? Paul and Silas bound in jail, All night long, Paul and Silas bound in jail, All night long, Paul and Silas bound bound in jail, All night long crying, Who shall deliver for me? The Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. All night long The Hebrew children in the fiery furnace All night long The Hebrew children in the fiery furnace All night long Crying, who shall deliver for me? Paul and Silas bound in jail All night long Paul and Silas bound in jail All night long Paul and Silas bound bound in jail all night long crying who shall deliver for me crying who shall deliver
2: Jail, how can you be delivered from jail? If you don't know you're in the fiery furnace, how can you be delivered from the fiery furnace? Revival means to revive, to bring back life. But if you don't know you need to be revived, how can you be revived? if there is no understanding of how we stand before a holy God, why would we want anything to change? There have been three great awakenings in America. Jonathan Edwards was the leader of that first great awakening in the 1700s. That awakening... Began to prepare the way in America for the Revolutionary War. Without Jonathan Edwards' preaching, there would have been no Revolutionary War. Now, let's be very forthright today. America needs a revival. What marked these three great awakenings was an intense desire on the part of men and women, boys and girls, to have a personal relationship, confrontation, understanding of Jesus Christ. What propelled that desire to know Jesus was not simply some sentimental understanding. The three great awakenings all preached the same message. And that message was, God is angry at sin and at sinners. And if you do not repent of your sin you will be cast into hell. It is scorned today as fire and brimstone preaching. But it was that preaching that established the Methodist Church. It was that preaching that brought the First Great Awakening and brought the Revolutionary War. Do you understand who the Minutemen were? in Concord it was a Baptist preacher and the elders of his congregation there was a revolution now let's be very forthright we have in America made up our own little how shall I call Caves of Deception, our little favorite theologies, private interpretations about what we believe. We don't have that privilege. We've come to a place of great crisis in America. Every ungodly thing is being done. Every wickedness is approved. Men and women living utterly godless lives. Some attending church, watching the show, being entertained with some sentimental feeling about a Jesus, but nothing that can change the culture. There has to be another great awakening. And for that great awakening to be real, we're going to have to deal with who God is. If we don't deal with the reality of who the great Jehovah of heaven is, we will never sense our need for a Savior. And if we don't sense a need for a Savior, then we can make him our best little invisible buddy. But he'll never be God. If we lie to ourselves, and we comfort ourselves in our lies, that we can continue to walk in sin and still be saved it means we don't know who God is now before I begin to share today the message God has given to me for you I want to tell you the wondrous miracle that God has done. Yesterday we came to you needing $1,215 to cover the cost of radio for July. I want to report to you today that that's completely covered by God's grace. The last pledge came in this morning in the early hours and everything is covered and I just I want to thank each of you who stood with me. The phones hopped and popped. My cell phone went off. The internet exploded. As you gave, thank you. Now let's pray. Quicken unto us, almighty God of heaven, the reality of who you are, The reality of what our condition is before you, and would you send your Holy Spirit to bring deep conviction that would cause us to repent and leave our sins now, today? Lord, thank you. Amen. I want to share with you a portion of a very famous sermon. By Jonathan Edwards, that third great awakening could never have happened without this sermon having been preached. The second great awakening could never have happened without this sermon having been preached. This kicked off the first great awakening in America and has been the fuel that has brought us conviction through the years. It was preached. In Enfield, E-N-F-I-E-L-D, July 8, 1741, Jonathan Edwards was the pastor of the Church of Christ in Northampton, Massachusetts. Let me share a portion of this sermon with you. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. Their foot shall slide in due time. In this verse is threatened the vengeance of God on the wicked, unbelieving Israelites that were God's visible people. They lived under means of grace, and that notwithstanding all God's wonderful works that he had wrought toward that people yet remained, as is expressed in verse 28, void of counsel, having no understanding in them, and that under all the circumvisions, the kindness of heaven, they brought forth bitter and poisonous fruit, The expression that I've chosen for my text, their feet shall slide in due time, seems to imply the following things relating to the punishment and destruction that these wicked Israelites were exposed to. One, that they were always exposed to destruction as one stands or walks in a slippery place is always expected to fall. This is implied in the manner of their destructions coming upon them, being represented by their foots sliding. The same is expressed in Psalm 73.18. Surely thou didst set them in a slippery place. Thou causest them down into destruction. It implies that They were always exposed to sudden, unexpected destruction. Now, let me stop a moment. Please understand that he's preaching this in a church, to church people, and those church people all thought they were just fine. Thank you very much. They were living their lives. They were going to church. They were giving their tithes and offerings, but as he looked at them, Out of 18 hours a day in his study, weeping before the Lord and searching after Jesus, he became in that study increasingly angry at the society in which he was living. As the anger in his heart rose in righteous indignation, he finally recognized that the members of his congregation and of other congregations were basically not Christian. And I would say that probably 90 or 95% of those who attend church on a regular basis have never been converted, have never been saved, you see, when you read the Bible carefully, and Jonathan Edwards expresses this, there are only two categories of people, sinners and the righteous. As one person said last night at our prayer meeting, there is no middle class with God. You are either Wicked, a sinner, or you are saved, a saint. This is the biblical view. I urge you to simply go to the scriptures and begin to read. Read carefully what God says about the ungodly. Read carefully what the Lord God of heaven has said to his prophet Isaiah jeremiah or go into the new testament and even go to the book of revelation and you will find always only two classes of people this is jonathan edwards perspective now i confessed at the beginning of yesterday's broadcast and i must do so again that i have not understood this through the years And so I have coddled sinners in the middle class of the Christian life, believing that people would grow out of their sin. But nowhere in Scripture is it taught that a man or woman can grow out of his or her sin. If you look at the passage of Scripture where Jesus, John 15, talks about the vine, and the branch. It's very clear that the branch that does not produce the fruit of righteousness is going to be cut off and cast into a pile where it will dry out and will be burned. He said, you can do nothing without me. So, as far as your Christian life is an expression of your flesh will, as long as your Christian life accommodates and pampers your sinful nature, you are not saved. Now, I've read many, many volumes on revivals through the years. I remember most clearly having participated in the Jesus movement. What was so striking to me about the Jesus movement was that men and women, young men and women, had this great tear in their heart of God, and they wanted to get right with Jesus. Jesus. And they would fall on the floor and they would weep over their sin and they would begin to confess the most heinous of sins. Everything from murder, drugging, fornication, lying, cheating, stealing. One man who came to Christ much more recently confessed that He'd gone into grocery stores and stolen steaks just to survive. And when he was converted, he had to go back to those same grocery stores and make restitution. Please, do you understand what I'm saying? The Christian faith is not something that can be watered down. It is sharp it is profound it says you can be changed into a new person right now but in order for that desire to be in your heart you're going to have to see what Jonathan Edwards is saying that your destruction is hanging over you and if you are playing with sin you are under the wrath of God and he will destroy you if you do not repent and turn And leave your sin. Back to Jonathan Edwards. He's saying. They were always exposed to sudden unexpected destruction. As he that walks in slippery places in every moment liable to fall. He can't foresee one moment whether he shall stand or fall the next. And when he does fall, he falls at once without warning. Another thing implied is that they are liable to fall of themselves without being thrown down by the hand of another. As he that stands or walks on slippery ground needs nothing but his own weight to throw him down. He's saying literally, look, the weight of your sin is sufficient to cause you to be cast into hell. And if you don't deal with the heavy weight of your sin, if you have somehow pushed it aside. Let me speak for just a moment about a very specific sin. Some of you are walking in very hidden sins today that you don't want anybody to know about. Some of you are deep into pornography. And you do it in the secrecy of your bedroom? And you just say it's a man thing? Or it's a woman thing? Because both men and women are very active in pornography in America. Or you may be involved in fornication. Or you may be deliberately stealing from your workplace. Nobody knows. You may be doing things that you would be utterly ashamed if everyone knew you were doing them. But you've convinced yourself it's okay. Nobody catches me. It doesn't hurt anybody else. The very weight of your sin is sufficient to cast you down and destroy your life. He says... The reason why they are not falling already and don't fall now is only that God's appointed time is not come. For it is said that when the due time or appointed time comes, their foot shall slide. Then they shall be left to fall as they are inclined by their own weight. God won't hold them up in these slippery places any longer, but will let them go. And then at the very instant they shall fall into destruction as that he stands in such a slippery declining ground on the edge of the pit that he can't stand alone. And when, it, when he is let go of by God, he immediately falls and is utterly lost. There is nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. By the mere pleasure of God, I mean His sovereign pleasure, His arbitrary will, restrained by no obligation, hindered by no manner of difficulty any more than if nothing else but God's mere will had in the least degree or in any respect whatsoever any hand in the preservation of wicked men for one moment. There is no want of power in God to cast wicked men into hell. Men's hands can't be strong when God rises up. The strongest have no power to resist him, nor can any deliver out of his hand. He's not only able to cast wicked men into hell, but he can most easily do it. Sometimes an earthly prince meets with a great deal of difficulty to subdue a rebel, that has found the means to fortify himself and made himself strong by the number of his followers. But it's not so with God. There's no fortress that any defense from the power of God can possibly save your life. The hand joined in hand and vast multitudes of God's enemies combined and associate themselves together, they're easily broken into pieces they are as great heaps of light chaff before the whirlwind, or large quantities of dry stubble before devouring flames. We find it easy to tread on and crush a worm that we see crawling on the earth, so tis easy for us to cut our, or singe a slender thread that anything hangs by. Thus easy it is for God, when he pleases, to cast his enemies down to hell. What are we that we should think to stand before him at whose rebuke the earth trembles and before whom the rocks are thrown down? What I mean today by sentiment is that somehow you believe that God's love is unconditional and that is a lie. God hates sinners he hates sin but he's willing to do anything to save one he wants to redeem us he wants to restore us to himself so if you don't understand that as long as you walk in sin you are in utter rebellion against the most high regardless of how you cover yourself up you face judgment and you face destruction There is no way around this. This is the biblical view of God's hatred and wrath expressed toward the sinner. They deserve, uh, Jonathan Edwards says, they deserve to be cast into hell so that divine justice never stands in the way or makes no objection against God's using his power at any moment to destroy them. Yea, on the contrary, justice calls aloud for an infinite punishment of their sins. Divine justice says of the tree that brings forth grapes of Sodom, Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? Luke thirteen seven. The sword of divine justice is every moment, Brandished over their heads and does nothing but the hand of arbitrary mercy and God's mere will that holds it back. They are already under a sentence of condemnation to hell. They don't only just deserve to be cast down thither, but the sentence of the law of God, that eternal, immutable rule of righteousness that God has fixed between Him and mankind is gone out against them and stands against them so that they are bound over already to hell. John 3.18 He that believeth not is condemned already. I sat with a woman a woman and her husband at their dining room table. And these are people who attend church regularly but in every other manner are worldly people loving everything of the world, engaging in the parties, engaging in all manner of sin. But they consider themselves quite normal. When I began to try to speak with them about their spiritual condition and began to identify specific areas where their sin was the greatest, and call them to repent, they got quite angry and upset with me. And let me know very plainly, Pastor, you're wrong. We're good people. God loves us. We're on our way to heaven. Well, today, both of those people are extremely sick, and they will soon die. What will happen to them? They made a refuge of lies, They believe they're fine with Jesus, but they were totally unwilling to hear that their sins have separated them from God. I weep for them. I love them. But because they have believed the lies and are so offended by a straight message of righteousness, they wouldn't even come to the prayer chapel. They listened to a few radio broadcasts. They listened to me as I sat in their home at their invitation. And then they turned away. They are comfortable in their wickedness. And they can't comprehend the fact that the sword of divine justice is brandished over their heads today as they slip quickly toward death and the judgment seat of God. And they are going to be most surprised when they get to the judgment bar of God and all of their sins are lifted up before them. It is what the scriptures say, a time of weeping and gnashing of teeth as they are bound by angels and carried and cast into the fires of hell. This is reality. This is the judgment of God against people who sit in church and think that they can enjoy all of the luxuries of life. They can enjoy all of the wonderful desserts of the devil and that they're on their way to heaven. Revival happens when we begin to understand what our true condition is before God, and we begin to open our hearts and say, Oh, God, show me my real condition before you. When uh, an anxiousness begins to come up in our hearts and we say, Oh, God, show me. Show me, please. Don't let me go down this road of utter deception and darkness. Show me, oh, God. Show me. Bend me. Bend me. You See, this is awakening. This is what the great awakenings were. When men and women, hearing this straight word from Jonathan Edwards and John Wesley and George Whitfield, and others, as they began to hear Mr. Finney, as they were confronted with their true condition before God, a great anxiousness rose up in their hearts and they said, Whoa, wait a minute. I'm not saved. As long as you assume you are saved by those things that you think you do that are righteous, you are not saved. Salvation means a total change in your life. It means a, an earnest desire To do everything that the Lord tells you to do. It means being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. You're a new creature. You're not the same old, same old. You're a new creature in Christ. And let's be honest most of you are not new creatures in Christ. You still have your same old temper, you still have your same old sins. Oh, you may have dressed them up a bit and you may have left the grosser sins, but the pride and the ambition are still there. The love of money is still there. The hatred for certain people is still there. The bitterness is still there. The judgments against others are still there. And I can tell you out of my own experience that when you begin to preach a gospel of confrontation of sin, and you go down there all the way and you don't pull their punch people get mad and leave the whole church can empty out because they don't want to hear about gossip they don't want to hear about judgments they don't want to hear about self-righteousness I know that what I'm saying to you today is extremely dangerous you may just turn the radio off and be angry I have to risk that We must have a great awakening or America is going to face the judgment of God and it will be destroyed in flashes of atomic weapons. Starvation is going to come upon this land. Disease is going to come upon this land. We are going to be destroyed as a nation if there is not a great awakening, piety, and turning back to Jesus Christ with severe repentance and emotional feeling and getting right with God and leaving our sin, if that does not happen, America will face the wrath of Almighty God. No nation in history has had the blessing of God upon it like America has had. And so no nation in history will ever be judged as severely as America if we do not awaken from our slumber and seek a Savior, Jesus Christ. He continues, Jonathan Edwards in Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, They are already under a sentence of condemnation to hell. They don't only justly deserve to be cast down, but the sentence of the law of God has been fixed between him and mankind. They are now the objects of that very same anger and wrath of God that is expressed in the torments of hell And the reason why they don't go down to hell at each moment is not because God, in whose power they are, is not then very angry with them, as angry as he is with many of those miserable creatures that he is now tormenting in hell. And do they feel and bear the fierceness of his wrath? Yes. God is a great deal more angry with a great number of those now on the earth and doubtless many that are in this congregation right now who are in ease and quiet than he is with many of those who are already in the flaming fires of hell, so that it is not because God is unmindful of their wickedness and doesn't resent it, but he doesn't let loose his hand and cut them off. God is not altogether such as one as themselves though many may imagine him to be so. The wrath of God burns against them. Their damnation does not slumber. The pit is prepared. The fire is made ready. The furnace is now hot and ready to receive them. The flames now rage and glow. The glittering sword is ready and held over them, and the pit opened her mouth under them the devil stands ready to fall upon them and seize them as his own at the moment god shall permit him they belong to him he has their souls in his possession and under his dominion you hear what he's saying that you can be sitting in the church listening to jonathan ever jonathan edwards preach every week but he's looking at his congregation and he's saying look I know your secret lives I know what you're really like I know what you're really doing you have never been born again you've never been changed into the likeness of Jesus you are still controlled by your same old passions and until this changes you are under the wrath of God and you cannot be saved There are in the souls of wicked men hellish principles reigning over them that would presently kindle and flame out into the fire of hell if it were not for God's restraint. There is laid in the very nature of carnal man a foundation for the torments of hell. There are those corruptible principles in reigning power in them and in full possession of them that are seeds of the fire of hell The souls of the wicked are in Scripture compared to the troubled sea Isaiah fifty seven twenty. For the present God restrains their wickedness by his mighty power as he does the raging waves of the troubled sea, saying Here too shalt thou come and no further. But if God should withdraw that restraining power, it would soon carry all afore it. Sin is the ruin and misery of the soul. It is destructive in its nature, and if God should leave it without restraint, there would be need of nothing else to make the soul perfectly miserable. The corruption of the heart of man is a thing that is immoderate and boundless in its fury. While wicked men live here, It is like fire pent up by God's restraints, whereas if it were let loose, it would set on fire the course of nature as the heart is now a sink of sin. So if sin were not restrained, it would immediately turn the soul into a fiery oven or a fiery furnace and brimstone. In other words, the reason you are not much worse than you already are is because of this restraining hand of God upon the sin in your life. He wants an opportunity at your heart. But if you have no fear, and you sit comfortably in the midst of your wickedness, what is God to do? What is God to do? if all you want is some sentimental word from heaven that is pleasing to your flesh, that allows you to believe, oh, when I die, then God's going to change me and make me into a new creature. That's a lying theology from hell. You either must have the character now, or you will never have the character of God. You must either turn and repent and ask the Lord To make you into a new creature. Or you will never be made into a new creature. Now for some people it takes time living in sin. And the Holy Spirit keeps coming time after time after time. And until you're ready you won't say no to that sin. But I want you to know that while you're living during that time. You are in great danger. Because if you were to be stricken down by the province of God. Or by your own foolishness you would not be saved. He continues, It's no security to wicked men for one moment that there are no visible means of death at hand. Tis no security to a natural man that he is now in health and he doesn't see which way he should now immediately go out of the world by any accident and that there is no visible danger in any respect in his circumstances. The manifold continual experience of the world in all ages show that this is no evidence that a man is not on the very brink of eternity and that the next step won't be into another world. The unseen, unthought-of ways and means of a person going suddenly out of the world are inconceivable. Unconverted men walk over the pit of hell on a rotten covering and there are innumerable places in that covering so weak that they won't bear their weight. And these places cannot be seen. The arrows of death fly unseen at noonday. The sharpest sight can't discern them. God has so many different unsearchable ways of taking wicked men out of the world and sending them to hell that there is there is nothing to make it appear that God had indeed a need to even work a miracle or go out of the ordinary course of his province to destroy any wicked man at any moment. All the means that are there are of sinners going out of the world and they're all in God's hands and they're subject to his power and determination. Natural man's care to preserve their own lives <clears throat> Pardon me, or the care of others to preserve them does not secure man for one moment. The divine province and universal experience does also bear testimony. There is no clear evidence that man's own wisdom is no security to them from death, that if it were otherwise we should see some difference between the wise and the foolish men of the world. Ecclesiastes 2.16 How dieth the wise man as the fool? How dies the wise man as the fool? Do you understand today? You're going to die. You may die today or tonight in your sleep or in a car accident. Or you may have an aneurysm you didn't know about and suddenly it will burst and you're gone. I've buried the infants, the young, the teenagers, the middle-aged and the old. I've stood at their graves and I've wept over many because they were hellbound. because they had no concept of the anger of God at them because of their continued rebellion and sin against him. How long do you think you can continue in that wickedness that is secret in your life? Some of you go home, you sit down in front of the television or the internet for the entertainment and you drink yourself into a drunken stupor. And then you get up the next morning and you do it all over again. How long do you think you can do this wickedness without the wrath of God finally saying, I am finished with you. And you fall into the depths of hell. Until we come to terms with this, there will be no revival in America. we have no contrivance by which we can escape hell while we continue to reject Jesus Christ and so remain wicked men and women we are not secure from one moment from hell now Most men and women flatter themselves that they shall escape hell. He flatters himself in that what he has done is what he is now doing and what he intends to do and everyone lays out matters in their own minds how they will escape that final judgment. That's why over 80% of Americans today say that when they die they're going to a much better place. They are utterly deceived. 80% are going to go to hell or more because they have no fear of God. He says, your schemes will fail. They hear indeed that there are but few saved and that the bigger part of men that have died heretofore are gone to hell. But each one imagines that he lays out matters better for his own escape than others have done. He doesn't intend to come to that place of torments. He says within himself that he intends to take care and he's going to escape. And that when he goes, there's going to be a better place for him. But the foolish children of men do miserably delude themselves in their own schemes and in their own confidence and their own strength and wisdom. They trust to nothing but a shadow. The bigger part of those "'heretofore have lived under the same means of grace "'and are now dead and undoubtedly gone to hell. "'And it was not because they were not as wise "'as those are now alive. "'It was not because they did not lay out matters "'as well for themselves to secure their own escape. "'If it were so that we could come to speak with them "'and could inquire of them one by one "'whether they expected when alive "'when they used to hear about hell,' ever to be the subject of the misery of hell, we doubtless should hear one after another reply, No, I never intended to come here. I'd laid out matters otherwise in my mind. I thought I should figure out a way for myself. I thought my scheme good. I intended to take effectual care. But it came upon me unexpected. I did not look for it at that time. And in that manner it came as a thief, Death outwitted me. God's wrath was too quick for me. Oh, my cursed foolishness! I was flattering myself and pleasing myself with vain dreams of what I would do hereafter. And when I was saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction came upon me. God has laid upon himself no obligation by any promise to keep any natural man out of hell one moment. God certainly has made no promises either of eternal life or of any deliverance or preservation from eternal death, but that are contained in the covenant of grace, the promises that are given in Christ, in whom all the promises are yes and amen. But surely they have no interest in the promises of the covenant of grace that are not the children of the covenant. And they don't believe in any of the promises of the covenant and have no interest in the mediator of the covenant. Now We're almost out of time today. I want to read for you a scripture out of First John the third chapter. I'll begin with verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Rebellion. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. In him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Some of you have thought, this is just Pastor Ray teaching his version. No, it's what Jonathan Edwards taught. It's what it's what John Wesley taught. It's what Charles Finney taught. It's what George Whitfield taught. This is the ancient gospel. The gospel of the sinning Christian is a wicked, modern convenience. And it's a lie. And if we don't begin to understand, verse 8, He who does what is sinful is of the devil. I don't care how you dress it up. I don't care what kind of Sunday clothes you put on. I don't care how casually you go to church in your shorts and your t-shirt if you're walking in sin you're of the devil and you need to be converted today and you can turn from your sin right now and say Jesus show me the full depth of my sin and I give myself to you and I'm going to pursue you with all of my heart and I make a decision right now I leave all sin in my life you know what the sin is that's holding you captive, whether it's fornication or lying or cheating or cursing or stealing. You know what the sin is. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin if you are continuing to sin, you are not born of God and you are lost and you will face the wrath of God on the day of judgment and the day of judgment is not some far off time. It's very close. It could be tonight for you. It could be this afternoon for you. Will you turn to Jesus with all of your heart today? You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I invite you to come to the prayer chapel if you are terrified of the judgments of God and you will hear a message that will cause you to turn in repentance. Now, we're very small because most have fled the prayer chapel at the straight word of God with their own prejudice and their own judgments but you're welcome to come if you're earnest about Jesus. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church Sunday at 12 noon. Let me give you the address. It's one four eight five one gideon Drive. Many of you have said, I'm going to visit, but you've put it off and put it off and put it off. Don't put off anymore. Getting right with Jesus one four eight five one Gideon Drive Woodbridge Virginia go to our webpage nationalprayerchapel dot God bless you my brother I love you that's why I preach this way I'll talk to you soon before the presence of
1: Glory with great joy With great joy